Okay, uh, good morning, church. My name is Teacher Kunda Zhou. This is my wife, Mveli. We've been attending TCC for about two and a half years with the two youngest children. Mveli uh, is going to read it in Xhosa, and then I'll read it in English. <laughs> okay. May the church please stand for the reading of God's word. Thank you. Okay. All right. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through him also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down and at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the names he has inherited is superior to theirs. Okay. Now I'm going to read in Tosa. Utiko wayezi tetile nje kudala ngenda o ezi ninzi na ngenzela ezi ninzi obawo ngabo aba profeti. Awaba misayo wainza lifayendo zonke. Awati kwa ngaye wayenza indalo yonke. Ote elubengeze lulubukata ulibake. Nompalo wengu yake. Ezi tuele nukuzi tuala zonke izi ndongalo iluizwi la manza ake. Wesuka ukuba akuba eye nzilengu kwa ke. Intambululo yoku sistambulula ezo nweni. Washala pansi nga seku nene kubukrestu enyangweni. Ete wabango na manja nga pezu kwezi tunwa zezulu na ngoko azuze ili falikama eliku tisileyo kunelazo. Thanks be to God for his word. In Revelation we read every tribe, every tongue, every nation will be gathered before the throne of God, worshiping and praising him. And we are excited here at TCC to have a microcosm of that expression of every tribe, uh, tongue, and nation. Uh, Just a couple of announcements to add to Pastor Steve's. Uh, The first is that we have two different uh, ladies groups starting up this week at TCC uh, called Ladies Refresh. Uh, They're meeting um, Tuesday evenings. They meet in the nursery, and then there's a group that meets Wednesday morning that has child care provided. Uh, So if you're at all interested in in joining one of those two groups, uh, please head to the the website, register for those. If you don't have time to register and just want to show up, you're welcome to do that as well. All the information is online. And the other thing I want to just make a quick note of, um, back in the summer, I believe, we had Aaron Cranton uh, come and speak to us from the Old Strathcona Street Mission. Um, And Aaron is working with um, Edmonton's homeless community um, around Old Strathcona uh, just to build relationships and friendships with them. He has an amazing ministry. It's quite small. Uh, But TCC is really committed to partnering with him. Not only are we doing that financially, uh, but we want to join with him in his ministry. 
Uh, and part of that for us is being able to engage alongside Aaron in making friends with uh, some of Edmonton's homeless community um, and just loving them and getting to know them and recognizing that they're not just the homeless, but they're also our neighbors uh, and sharing with them the love and light of Jesus. Uh, there's a small group from TCC who are engaging in, in a ministry opportunity Thursday mornings, I think twice a month or once a month at this point. Um, so if you have time on a Thursday afternoon and would like to participate in that ministry, um, it's a, they serve a meal and watch a, an episode of The Chosen with some of our homeless neighbors uh, and just get to know them and through fellowship and community. And so that's an opportunity on Thursday. This week it's happening. So if you have more questions about that, you can chat with me or chat with Marnie. Uh, I was participating in that in December and it was just such an amazing time. And so I encourage you to, to join with us and to be prayerful with us as we engage with that uh, ministry. Well, it is good to be together this morning. Um, it's good to be here in person and just welcome to those of you online. Um, it's, it's so great to see these smiling faces smiling back at me. I wish that those of you at home I, I could see as well, um, but we know you are with us and it's good to this morning open God's word uh, together. So looking forward to that. Um, how many of you have typed a question into the Google search engine? Everyone's hand should be up. Come on, right? Yeah, Google is this amazing resource that we have um, available to us. And there was an interesting article that I stumbled across this past week in preparation for this message that was unpacking some of the most common questions asked of Google. Now, some of them won't surprise you, although the number one question asked is, what is my IP address? which surprised me because I personally have never typed in that question. Uh, but that was the number one, if you're really curious. But a lot of the other ones were things you would expect. Questions about measurements. Questions about, you know, how far is this place to that place. Um, questions about how many ounces are in a cup. You know, these types of things I'm sure we've all entered into Google. You know, um, asking about holidays. Asking when's Mother's Day, when's Father's Day. Questions about how to use computers. This one surprised me, though. Um, how do I solve a Rubik's Cube? That was in, like, the top 30. I was like, wow, a lot of people are interested in this. And this one, even more so, question number 51. What time does Walmart close? <laughs> Google, I need help. And then there's lots of questions about our culture, questions about celebrities' birthdays uh, and celebrities' relationship status. If you're curious to know how old Dolly Parton is, you are not alone. That question was in the, the top 80, which again surprised me. And then this question, number 40, was um, why were chainsaws invented? It's like, that is a weird, specific question to be on this list of top 100. And then, of course, Google's used to ask a lot of advice questions. Questions about sickness and disease. Questions about how do I lose weight? What's a good diet? How do I write a resume or a cover letter? Questions are asked of Google about relationship advice. Questions are asked about, from Google about spirituality. And now what's interesting is, I think what's reflected in all of this is that as a people, as a culture, we are a people who ask questions. Right? That's just the reality of who we are. We are a people who are full of questions. There's this reality that to be human, we, we have this inherent information deficit. And we're looking for answers. Everything from how many ounces are in a cup to how do I thrive in my marriage? How do I be a good parent? How do I grandparent well? These are the types of things that people are plugging in to Google. 
And what happens when you click enter? You know, I just did a little experiment this morning. I asked Google the question, how do I love my wife well? I was like, this is a good Google question. Do you know how many results came up? It was 1.3 billion results within a fraction of a second to that question. And so not only are we people looking for answers, but we are people who are being bombarded with information. And we are left to wade through that information, to discern what is the best course forward. How do we shuffle through the noise? How do we make sense of all of this stuff that is coming at us? And Google is just one example of a place we might go with our questions. Sorry guys, this feedback's crazy. Are we working on that or do you want me to switch to handheld or no? Okay. Um, Google is just one place we go for our, with our questions, isn't it? It might be to a teacher or a mentor, to a parent, to a friend. And not only do all these people have advice, sometimes we're being given advice that we aren't looking for, to questions that we didn't necessarily think we are asking. And we're left wondering, what is good? What is better? What is best? What choice should I make? What direction should I go? And all of this can be disorienting with all the information coming at us. But in the midst of all of this noise, in the midst of all of the answers to all the questions that maybe we are or are not asking, I believe that Scripture testifies to the reality in the midst of it all, there is a God who is speaking. In the midst of all of the noise, God is speaking. His voice is coming to us. He is interested in us. He is interested in providing answers to our questions. He is interested in being the one who's walking alongside us no matter the season that we find ourselves in. This morning we begin a series on the book of Hebrews that we've called Greater Than. And throughout this series we're going to be talking about the ways that Jesus is greater than so many other of the offerings that come to us from our culture and from our world. And the book of Hebrews is one that is continually touching on this theme that God is speaking to us and he is inviting us to listen. Now before we jump into the first four verses of Hebrews, I just want us to take a second to understand the context. Whenever we read scripture, it's really important for us to understand what is the genre of the book that we are reading, who is writing this book, who is it written to, in order for us to better understand it. Well, in terms of genre, Hebrews is very interesting. If you have your Bible open to Hebrews chapter 1, if you flip back just one page, uh, we're looking at the book of Philemon. And the book of Philemon, it begins, because it is a letter, it begins with Paul saying, hey, this is Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother. So we're given the author right off the bat. Secondly, we have the person that the letter is addressed to, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. And then we have a greeting, grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now if you flip back to Hebrews, do you see the author, the audience, or the greeting at the top of this document? No, we do not. So scholars look at the book of Hebrews and they say it doesn't actually fit super well into the genre of a letter, which is interesting. And in the New Testament we have a whole bunch of different genres. We have the Gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are biographies of Jesus telling the story of, of the life of Jesus Christ. 
We have Paul's writings, which most of which are, are indeed letters. I think you could say all of them are letters, where they, they are addressed to a specific community in a specific time. And we get to the book of Hebrews, and it seems like we're looking at a different type of genre. Now, there's some clues within this book that indicate to us that Hebrews is likely a sermon. Hebrews is likely a sermon. Now, who is writing this sermon? Again, the author is not identified, and there is a ton of debate around who wrote the book of Hebrews. Um, And after my study this past couple of weeks, um, the only conclusion I have is that someone, if someone comes to you and says that they definitively know who wrote Hebrews, uh, they're wrong. They do not definitively know who wrote Hebrews. Um, The author is not given to us from within the book. A lot of people thought it was the Apostle Paul, but there's really good internal evidence that that just simply couldn't be true. Um, Some people think it's Apollos, one of Paul's ministry partners, or Barnabas. Uh, There's lots of different theories. But at the end of the day, we're left with this reality that it is written by an unidentified pastor. Now, in addition to this, who is this book addressed to? And I think this is really important for us as we look at the book of Hebrews. Uh, the book of Hebrews, which is identified in the name, this idea of Hebrews being, being the, the Jewish people, um, that our sermon here is written to a congregation of Messianic Jews. So a group of Jewish people who've come to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They've come to believe that Jesus Christ is the anticipated Messiah. And so we have them as the audience. Now, what's important about that for us is that Hebrews is an incredibly confusing book. And it's very confusing because the author of Hebrews understands the context of their audience. This morning, if I were to say and start talking about Connor McDavid, I think most of us know who he is. Um, But if you recorded me talking about Connor McDavid, and I never referenced the Oilers, I never referenced hockey, Um, in this context, that would be okay. But maybe in another context, I don't want to offend Connor McDavid, he's probably not universally known. In some other context, if I referenced him, I'd probably need to give a bit of background about who he is, what sport he plays, how he is famous in our context. Similarly, the author of Hebrews, he's talking about all these themes and all of these ideas from the Old Testament. But he doesn't give us the background because he assumes we know it. And the reason I mention that is that as we journey through this book, one of the tasks of those of us who are teaching through it is going to be to help us understand some of the Old Testament realities. What is going on um, in the background for these early hearers um, as the sermon is being preached to them? What references are going off in their minds? What pictures are going off in their minds um, as they are receiving this message? So we're going to have to take time to do that. And their context is also really important for us as we jump into this book. In Hebrews, we see that this was a once very vibrant congregation. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3 to 4, we read um, that this salvation that they have received, that was announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. And God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So the pastor is reminding them of the salvation that they once received and the signs and the wonders that accompanied this salvation. He's speaking to their vibrancy. He's speaking to their history. He's reminding them of, man, remember this message? Remember the signs and the wonders that came when we received this message? But several chapters later, we get into chapter 10, 
and we read a bit more about their history. It says, remember those earlier days after you'd received the light, when you endured in great conflict, full of suffering. That's interesting. So this congregation has endured suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insults and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those um, who were treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. And so here in Hebrews chapter 10, the pastor is pointing to this time of persecution that the church experienced. Now, most scholars believe that this is a reference to about 49 AD. Um, Emperor Emperor Claudius was dealing with a group of, of Christians within Rome that he believed were causing great disturbances. And so a lot of these Christians were kicked out of Rome. Um, that He was trying to deal with these disturbances. And so the early church faced a little bit of persecution the rule of Emperor, Emperor Claudius, resulting for some of them in the removal of their property. But now we have this letter being written, they think about 15 years later. And a new crisis has emerged for this early congregation. In 64 AD, uh, Rome caught fire. Ten out of their 14 districts burned. And the emperor at the time was Emperor Nero, and it was rumored that he had started these fires. Now, he didn't like that PR, right? He didn't like that rumor. So Emperor Nero began to spread a rumor that, no, it was the Christians. The Christians lit Rome on fire. The Christians destroyed 10 out of 14 districts. And so now the the Christians were facing an enormous amount of persecution. This early congregation was, was being persecuted. A lot of them were hiding. Their churches moved from meeting in houses to meeting into catacombs so that they could worship without disturbance. They were hiding in fear. And in chapter 12, verse 4, the pastor says, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. But this idea that it's coming... The persecution is ramping up. You are facing troubling, troubling times. So this author of Hebrews, this pastor of this congregation is receiving word about how they are doing. And throughout this letter, this, throughout this sermon, we get little glimpses. We read about some of them who are doubting their faith. We read about those who are starting to disconnect from the church, starting to disengage It's not safe to be a Christian anymore. I'm not sure I want to participate. We read about Christians who are wondering, God, where are you? What is going on in this context? God, don't you see us? This pastor is hearing about this young congregation that is struggling with the cost of discipleship. And I think he's wondering in the midst of all of this, where are they turning to for advice? What are they listening to? How are they going to move forward well? Well, why do I bring up all this context of the book of Hebrews? Not only is it important for us to understand as we read, but friends, I I bring it up because I think that this early church, in a lot of ways, is a lot like us. Because we too doubt. We too live with fear. We too wonder, God, where are you? We too ask the question, God, Do you see what's actually going on here on earth? Do you not care about what's going on? Do you not see my situation? Do you not understand what I'm going through? Why aren't you delivering me? Why aren't you making a difference in my life? 
we too perhaps have looked at our own faith and wondered, well, what's the point? What's the point of following Jesus? What's the point of walking in the way that God's called us to walk when all it seems to do is bring me trouble and hardship? Maybe you've wondered that in your past. Maybe you wonder that today. But the doubt, the fear, the wondering, the questions of this early church are not that different than our own. Though I am grateful we are not experiencing persecution to the same degree that they were. So they are much like us. This sermon highlights the greatness of Jesus over and above all other beliefs. And it calls the hearers to commit their lives to following Jesus no matter the cost. And friends, we need that message today. And this is the message that we will be unpacking over the next several months. Um, This is going to be the way we've plotted out. Uh, We're looking at the longest sermon series in the history of Twilliga Community Church. We will see how it goes. uh, But we look forward to unpacking uh, this great sermon together. And so it's to this struggling congregation. It's to the doubters. It's to the ones wondering, God, where are you? It's to the ones wrestling with fear. It's to the ones questioning and wondering about their own relationship with God that this pastor begins. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. Friends, in our doubt and struggles, when we're tempted to turn away from God, we need to be reminded that our God speaks. We need to be reminded that our God has revealed Himself to us. We need to be reminded that God is not ignoring us, and He is not far off. But He is one who speaks. This opening verse screams that message. God is a speaking God. And the pastor contrasts two eras. He says, in the past, God spoke this way. Through the prophets at various times and in various ways. God has been speaking through your history. And all of the Hebrews, all of them hearing this, they're like, oh yeah. Isaiah, Jeremiah, the Torah, Genesis through Deuteronomy. The Psalms, the prophets. They know all this. God has spoken in various ways. At various times. But the pastor contrasts it to this new era. But in these last days, has God stopped speaking? No. God has spoken through his son. Now these two eras can be confusing for us. Whenever the the Bible refers to the last days, it's primarily speaking about the, the age of the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises regarding the coming of the Messiah. So at the resurrection of Jesus... We believe Jesus inaugurated or began the last days. So when you read in your Bibles about the last days, our temptation is to think about this coming time, things that are about to come, things that are going to happen. But in the New Testament, the last days is a reference more so to our present, the present reality. We are currently living in the last days. This congregation was living in the last days. For the past 2,000 years, we are living in the last days. And so uh, it's helpful for us to remember that. And so in these last days, how has God spoken? He's spoken through Jesus. And we have right here in the first two 
verses of Hebrews, the structure for the entire book. Because what the pastor is going to do is go through all these different Old Testament examples and then unpack and teach for us how Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of what was going on in the Old Testament. So he's going to talk about, okay, in the Old Testament, um, these different things were going on. But now God has spoken through his son. And these are the implications of, how, of why and how God has spoken through his son. And it's going to go through all these different movements of this contrast of how things were and how things have been now fulfilled in Christ. And the emphasis here is that God has spoken in both eras. And we look at Jesus now as the ultimate and final expression of his speaking. Now, what I love here is where the the pastor goes. Because he doesn't let us assume that we know about the one who is speaking. Rather, he goes on to give us a bit of Jesus' resume. If Jesus were to, to fill out a form and talk about who are you, he might mention some of these things. And what we have for us is seven different attributes of Jesus, and I'm excited to walk through those. And again, as you read your Bibles, whenever you see a list, it's really important that we slow down and think through that list. You know, as you're doing your daily devotions, a great exercise. When you see multiple attributes of something, or or multiple calls to something, or or multiple things, just to slow down and break it down. Because here in Hebrews, we have seven attributes of Jesus. The first is that Jesus is appointed heir of all things. Now, right away, all of us think back to Psalm chapter 2, right? No? We don't all think back to Psalm chapter 2? Okay. So this is some of the audience stuff, right? For this original group, as soon as the pastor says the heir of all things, the audience is thinking Psalm chapter 2. And Psalm chapter 2 is a messianic psalm, or one that is um, pointing to the coming Savior of Israel. And this is what we have in Psalm chapter 2. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. So the idea of Jesus being the heir of all things, the pastor is saying, hey guys, Jesus is the anticipated Savior. You know, we just celebrated this at Christmas, the coming of God in man and in Jesus Christ. And the reality that the people who were living in darkness, were longing for a Savior to come. By calling Jesus the heir of all things, the pastor is saying definitively, the heir of all things, he has come. The one that you've been anticipating, the one that you've been waiting for, the Savior that you've been hoping would come and bring redemption, he's come. He's here. The heir of all things has come. That's the first, the first attribute, that Jesus is the anticipated Savior. And friends, he is our needed Savior. We might not have the same history of the Jewish people who were longing and and waiting and anticipating the coming of a Messiah. But we have a need for salvation. And Jesus is our Savior. He has come. Second attribute, through whom also God made the universe. Now, this is a cool text in that it, it reference, um, you can cross-reference it with John chapter 1. You can cross-reference it with Colossians chapter 1 verse 16. Um, but the one here that's interesting is it, it references also back to Proverbs chapter 3. There's other references in Proverbs as well as in Jeremiah. 
This idea of wisdom being present with the Lord at creation. By wisdom, the Lord laid the earth's foundation. By understanding, he set the heavens in place. And it, it goes on. But this comparison here to Jesus as wisdom speaks to the God's, speaks to his presence um, at creation and that Jesus is the wisdom of God. And I love this tie-in to Jesus being present at creation, that Jesus was there creating because he is God. It's this emphasis that he is our creator. Jesus is our creator. He's the one who's made us. He's the one who understands human flourishing better than any celebrity or philosopher or anyone who wears a lab coat. When we ask the question, how should we get the most out of life? Jesus has the best answers to that. Why? Because he made us. He knows how we are wired. He designed us. He knows how we function. It's the second attribute listed. The third, the sun is the radiance of God's glory. We have a metaphor here that, that what the rays of light are to the sun, Jesus is to the Father. What the rays of light are to the sun, so Jesus is to the Father. Now, glory is, again, one of those interesting words in Scripture that uh, we can easily confuse. When we use the word glory uh, in, in our culture, we're, we're talking about fame, right? This idea of, of glory. So an athlete might get a touchdown in a football game, and the interviewer ask, afterwards asking about the touchdown, and he'll be, oh, glory to God, right? Like, like God is worthy of, of my fame. Or, or you have like a country music star receiving a reward, and he's like, oh, glory to God, and about a song that is immoral and anyway that's a whole confusing thing Uh, but when we talk about glory in our culture it's often about fame but in the old testament the idea of glory was about the presence of god the felt presence of god the known presence of god the the idea of the transcendent becoming real or in front of you the the word glory in hebrew is, is kabod and it speaks to weight it's this idea that like man I don't have to wonder if God showed up. God showed up. His glory was here. I felt it. Maybe I saw it. The glory of God was something felt and experienced. So when the sun is the radiance of God's glory, we have not only this idea of, yes, the the fame aspect, but we also have this idea of the presence. And it reminds me of what we just celebrated at Christmas. Emmanuel, God is with us. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. God's presence with us by his abiding Holy Spirit. God is with us. So God is our Savior. He is our Creator. He is with us. The author goes on, the fourth attribute. He is the exact representation of his being. Now, this word representation in the Greek was a word that they used uh, for stamps that would have minted coins or the, or the, the picture of a, a seal that was pushed into wax to seal an envelope. And the idea there is that the wax, after it is sealed or the impression on a coin, um, it is the exact representation of the thing that has impressed, uh, impressed itself upon it. And so here we have this, this echo of not only... Um, speaking to the the nature and the humanity of Jesus, but also to the reality that Jesus is God. If you're looking for God, you need not look any further than Jesus. 
You know, we live in an interesting world where people might not dispel the idea of God. This idea of a creator, this idea of, well, we're not all here by accident. But people want to give a whole lot of different names to how we got here. They want to point to all sorts of different things or ideas or philosophies that might point to what brought us here. They might label God in all sorts of different ways. But what Hebrews chapter 1 is speaking to is the reality that God has revealed himself to us. He's given us his name. And he said, and this is my son Jesus. You want to know the Father? You want to know God? You look at Jesus. We want to know our creator? We look at Jesus. We want to know how we're to flourish as humans? We look at Jesus. Why? Because he is the exact representation of God. He is God. So God is our Savior. He is our creator. He is with us. He is God. Fifth attribute, he is sustaining all things by his powerful word. What a proclamation. Commentator and scholar Thomas Schreiner writes that the universe is sustained by the personal and powerful word of the Son, so that the created world is dependent on his will for its functioning and preservation. Implied in the expression is that the universe will reach its intended goal and purpose. Why? Because the Son wills it. He is sustaining all things by his powerful word. You guys remember that... um, Sunday school song, he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands, right? He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. Some of you are nodding along. That's what this is about. And it's not some fickle Sunday school song. It, It is truth. It is reality. He's got the whole world in his hands. We can't wrap our minds around that. But that is the testimony of Scripture. That God has got the whole world in His hands. He is our Savior, our Creator. He is with us. He is God. He is the Sustainer. Number six, He's provided purification for sins. Now here we have again a ton of Old Testament imagery. But there's this reality in the Old Testament when we unpack the story that in order for God's people to be near to God, they had to be purified. A holy God could not be in contact with something that is unholy. Purification was required. So animals were sacrificed regularly so that sin would be washed away, the people would be made pure, and they'd be able to to be near God. God is pure. That's what it is to be holy, to be set apart. So we, but in Jesus, because he's provided purification for sin, no longer do we need to sacrifice animals because Jesus himself became that sacrifice. He has created a way for us to be brought back in relationship with God, which whether or not you know it, is the very thing that we've been made for, to be in relationship with God. That is where we will find joy. So in saying that he's provided purification of sins, not only is there this emphasis in this reality that Jesus has reconciled us back to God, but there's also this reality that Jesus is our path to joy, our path to abundant life, because that is what we need most, to be reconciled to God. And then the final attribute that's given is that he is sitting at the right hand 
of the majesty of heaven. Now, in the same way that your minds went straight to Psalm chapter 2, when he referenced Jesus being the heir of all things, so here your mind went straight to Psalm 110, right? Psalm 110 is another messianic psalm um, that says, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And so here we have again uh, this emphasis of Jesus not only being the Savior, um, but also being the King. In Scripture, when we read about the right hand, it is a, a message of power, of protection, and of triumph. What the author of Hebrews is doing here is he's declaring that Jesus is King. Jesus is King. We sang that this morning, right? Glory, glory, we have no other king. I don't think we realize how subversive that language is. Because when we say that Jesus is king, what's implied by that is, I don't have another king. Jesus is my king. He is the one in charge. He is the one ruling and reigning and leading me on. He is the king. This was a message not welcomed in Rome. This was a message that got a lot of early Christians martyred and killed. That Jesus is king. So the author of Hebrews has given us Jesus' resume. That he is our savior, our creator. He is with us. He is God. He is the sustainer. He is our path to joy. He is our King. So the anticipated Savior who is the creator of the universe, God Himself present with us, the sustainer of all things, who has died for our redemption and is ruling and reigning from heaven. This is the one who is speaking. This is the one who is speaking to you. You catch that? Jesus is the one speaking to you. And Jesus is not some prophet from the first century. He's not some man with great ideas. He is God. And He is speaking to us. And He's speaking to us today. Friends, I'm not sure how you come this morning, apart from cold. We all came in a little cold. And maybe you come this morning and all is well. All is okay. That's great. But maybe you come this morning and you're facing big decisions in your life. Maybe you come this morning and you're carrying frustrations with the way your current life is. Maybe you're frustrated with yourself. Maybe you're frustrated with relationships. Maybe you're frustrated with your circumstance. Maybe you're facing a difficulty that you've never faced before. And you come a little bit heavy-hearted. Or you're mindful of friends or family who are facing just these huge difficulties. However you come today, in the midst of the noise of life, Jesus is speaking to you. We need to listen. Because nothing can compare to Jesus speaking. Nothing can compare to His voice. But friends, we struggle to listen. Some of us struggle to listen because we really just don't care. We're apathetic. 
Maybe you're listening to this sermon this morning under duress. Um, you don't want to be here. You were brought with a friend or someone sent you this audio clip or something. And in your mind, religion just really isn't your thing. But friends, whether or not you think it's true, we're all religious in some way. We all believe in something. We all put our faith in something. And so we might think that we're apathetic toward religion, but really you are already giving yourself to something. But I have to say, if you're going to bet your life on something, you better make sure it's the real thing and not some random philosophy or idea of someone else. And I believe that this one who is speaking, Jesus Christ, he's worthy of your attention. Give him a listen. Or maybe some of us, we struggle to listen because we're just really busy. And there's so much noise and there's so much distraction in our lives. And, and we, we want to follow Jesus. We, we want to be people who are on mission. We, we want to live out the Great Commission and go into the world and make disciples. We want to be people who love God and love others. But man, have you seen my calendar? Have you seen all that's going on in my life? And we just don't have time to listen to Jesus. To sit at his feet and to hear what he has to say. So we drift. And we stop paying attention. And then we wonder why Christianity isn't working and why God has given up on us. Or maybe we struggle to listen because we're just proud. We've been coming to church our whole lives and we've got half the Bible memorized. There's no point in listening because we already know what God is going to say. And our pride and our arrogance keep us from hearing Him speak. But friends, whether you're in any one of those camps, whether you don't really care, or you're really busy, or maybe you're really proud, Jesus is speaking to you. His invitation comes to you this morning. And as we journey through Hebrews together, I pray that as a congregation we can posture ourselves as listeners to hear him speak. Now, there's lots that could be said about the content of his speech. Um, I don't have time to, to preach on that this morning, um, but I, I really believe it begins in his word. God has revealed himself through his word. He speaks through his word as we posture ourselves to listen and hear what he might say to us through it. But I also believe that God speaks in gentle whispers and in words of encouragement through friends and family and other believers. I believe he speaks through his son in many ways. But for us this morning, is there a practice from the life of Jesus that helps us to be good listeners? Because that's what I want us to do through this series, and, and in general, as we learn to follow Jesus well, we need to be good listeners. Um, very simply, it's the practice of silence and solitude. Getting alone to be with Jesus. We have to do that. And this is not an easy practice because our world is loud and our minds are sometimes even louder, it feels, than the world around us. But Scripture invites us to quiet. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Norb um, gave some reflections out of Psalm chapter 46. And in Psalm chapter 46, we have the very famous 
um, verse that's been embroidered on quilts and has been put on plaques and is all over the place. Be still and know that I am God. Now, what's so interesting about that verse is because we always put it in all these different places, we miss the context. But Psalm 46 talks about mountains being thrown into the sea. It talks about wars raging between nations. It talks about unrest and difficulty and anger and abuse. And in the middle of all of that, it says, be still and know that I am God. In the loudest of situations, be still. And know that I am God. When your circumstances are demanding your attention, be still and know that I am God. Jesus demonstrated for us, this for us. And Jesus had a lot going on. But we read in the Gospels about Jesus getting away. In Luke chapter 5, the good news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him to be healed of their sickness. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places, and he prayed. He got alone with the Father. He heard the Father speak. And in John chapter 5, we have Jesus reflecting to some people who are criticizing him that he only does what the Father tells him to do. He only says what the Father tells him to say. How is that possible? He got alone with God. So friends, can you do that today? This week, it's minus 40 outside, so you don't really have anything else to do anyway. Might be a good day to say to your spouse, like, hey, can I just take 15 minutes and just sit? Maybe, it, maybe go and sit with Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 to 4. Reflect on those attributes of Jesus, those seven characteristics. And maybe as you sit and read them, just ask the Holy Spirit, will will you highlight one of these for me? What do you need to be reminded of today? Do you need to be reminded of the God who speaks? Do you need to be reminded of His presence? That He's with you? Do you need to be reminded that He is your Savior? Do you need to be reminded that He's your Creator? That He's your Sustainer? That He is God? So maybe just sit with this text and allow the Holy Spirit to speak. To highlight that for you. To speak to you. I should invite the worship team to come and join me on the platform. But friends, what I love about Hebrews 1, 1 to 4, it's just, it is such a message of God's love. God is not far off. He has not abandoned you. He's not distant. Your circumstances are not lost on him. But he is the God who has spoken through history. And he's still speaking today. And he invites us to humble ourselves and listen. Let's invite you to do that now. Let's close our eyes before the Lord. Just spend a moment in silence. Father God, we recognize that you are here in this place whether we're here in this building or sitting at home, we just pause now. We recognize your presence is here. We pause. And we say, speak, Lord. We are listening.
Lord, help us to hear your voice. Help us to receive from you that which you have for us today. Give us today your daily bread. And help us to posture ourselves to receive that from you every day. Thank you for your love, that you have not abandoned us, that you are with us. So open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, our hearts to receive that which you have for us, Lord Jesus. Let's continue in this posture of prayer, this song just inviting Jesus to be the center. We would give ourselves to him, we would hear his voice and respond in obedience. Let's pray this together.